Hello and welcome to the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier County Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer. I am the vice chair of the Collier Democratic Party and the host of this podcast. Thank you guys for clicking on. This is our first podcast of 2021 after a little over two months break. Uh, A lot happened over the last two months, uh, to say the least. Uh, But we're back and we're back at it and we'll be bringing you much more of what's going on here locally in the party and also the political happenings here in Collier County, the state, uh, maybe a little bit of national uh, going forward. But uh, here's a quick update on what's happened in the Democratic Party since we last did a podcast nearly two months ago. After every single election, the local party has local party elections on who is going to lead the party. Anissa Kareem was re-elected as chair of the party, I was re-elected as vice chair, and Sarah McFadden was re-elected as state committee woman. Laura Kirkhoff, Bill Reese, and Abby Fetzer, our uh, treasurer, state committee man, and secretary, all decided to not run for re-election. So we have three new officers. Anne Daly was elected as treasurer, Marv Diamond was elected as state committee man, and Francie Hunt was elected as secretary. So I want to first thank the outgoing officers for all their hard work over the last four years. All of the progress we've made was a true team effort, and we would not have accomplished it without all of your hard work and dedication. I would also like to congratulate and welcome the new elected members to the team, and uh, Anissa and I are excited for the new energy and perspectives that will take us all to the next step in our ongoing efforts to fight for democratic values. Democratic values like clean air and clean water, health care as a right, equal pay for equal work, a living wage, quality, well-funded public education, and so much more. So welcome to Ann, Marv, and Francie. We're really excited to get started on the 2022 campaign. And so once all of our local elections are completed, uh, our state committee man, Marv Diamond, and our state committee woman, Sarah McFadden, both of them move on to the state party elections where they represent us to elect new leadership of the state party. Uh, There was a wide range of candidates for this new state party chair. The Terry Rizzo, the outgoing chair, decided not to run of the state party. So Uh, We had a lot of new candidates, but ultimately Manny Diaz, the former mayor of Miami, was elected chair of the Florida Democratic Party here just a few weeks ago. Uh, We are super excited about the experience and acumen that Chair Diaz will bring to the Florida Democratic Party, and we look forward to working with him to grow the party and defeat Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio here in 2022. So big election coming up in 2022. with Governor's Mansion on the line and a Senate seat on the line. Uh, We will have much more information about all the different ways that uh, you can get involved uh, going forward. So that's all we have to report regarding the party. Let's dive in with Amber and Linda to talk about the 2020 election, the craziness of the last two months, and check in on old Governor DeSantis and his head-in-the-sand approach to handling COVID. So we are back here with uh, Linda and Amber, who, uh, after a long layoff, it's been nearly two months now, or actually over two months uh, since we last recorded. But uh, Amber, Linda, I'd like to welcome you guys back into the Roundup universe. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing doing very good. Much better than last time, and it's great to be back. 
Wow, that was very positive. I'm going to say that I'm still up and down. <laughs> not not fully 100%. Some days are better but than in others. But in the grand still. scheme, in the grand scheme of things, of where we could be, I'm way up. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. We could be a lot further down. That's a true. A lot further down. <laughs> That's true. I guess I'm just, you know, my answer is being colored by the shade of red that I was in yesterday. <laughs> Upon well, finding out that our Senate is just as spineless as I assume they were. But reading it in print just, uh, you know, made me kind of super mad. So, yeah. That's what happened then. So, yeah. we'll get into all of that here today. Uh, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about the election. Uh, feels like it was a year ago, but we're going to talk about what happened here in Collier County briefly. And then we'll we'll talk about the craziness that was the transition. I don't think any of us thought that uh, Donald Trump in the previous four years could get any crazier. But uh, he said, hold my beer. Yep. And uh, we will uh, also... <laughs> Rounded out with a conversation about uh, Ron DeSantis, since he is up for election, guys, in 2022. We'll talk about his handling of the COVID pandemic. But um, let's dive into the election results. I'll give you some um, statistics. We did really well here in Collier. Uh, Yay! We have 90- I'm going to give that moment to cheer. Woo! Go Collier. We had a uh, the highest voter turnout for a county, all parties uh, in the state, and we had the highest turnout for Democratic turnout in the entire state of any county in the entire state. We hit 91% turnout of Democrats uh, got out to uh, to vote. So that was a, a great deal, and I you know I can't say enough about all of the volunteers and everybody who put the effort in. Uh, over the last uh, three months of that campaign, you know, we really pushed everything into it. And, um, you know, I don't know that we could do any do much better than 91%. Uh, obviously, the state shifted uh, the other way. And uh, we've got some work to do um, in in that department to try to to try to move it back uh to the left, where we want it to, to go. Looking but, at uh, you, Miami-Dade. Looking at thank you. Thank you. There's only one damn county who deserves that crown. <laughs> and that is, in fact, Miami-Dade County, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so um, what do you guys think about it? You know, I'm going to have to dig back into your brain a little bit with, uh, <laughs> with what happened uh, Way back. two and a half months ago. <laughs> but what, what's your feeling? What were your feelings when you heard Collier hit 91%? Well, I think by the time I heard that, it was after several days of just um, (laughs) abject terror of the election going uh, (laughs) the wrong way. Although I think by by Wednesday night, I was feeling relatively confident the way the numbers were going. Um, So I can't exactly remember what day I heard about Collier, um, but I was obviously very pleased. We all know that Collier is a Republican county so the fact that we just got that much support out of the democrats is amazing and i think that that's something that we're just going to continue to build upon as we grow in our support and our numbers here and um, hoping for next time midterms hopefully we can uh 
well, we're not going to outdo a, <laughs> a major election, but, you know, get just more, more people out to the polls. So, yeah, that was, uh, I was shocked, actually. I was shocked about that. I can't remember exactly when I heard about the 91% number either. I will say, though, that I don't, I don't, rem- I don't recall being shocked. I recall it being a confirmation of what I saw um, as far as the work ethic of the party, the work ethic of you, Jeff, Anissa, uh, Francie, our volunteer coordinator, and uh, a variety of other troops on the ground. Um, it, it was just validation for the hard work that I had seen uh, everyone in the party doing. So um, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think numbers could get potentially any higher. And it, it's, it's really, truly just a testament of how, of how hard the party worked to, to get the Collier County turnout. So I looked at it as, yee-hoo. we, you know, I saw it happening in real time. Yeah. We, you know, we were really excited about that. Our goal uh, going in was to hit 85%. So we, we exceeded that. Um, our goal was to get 70,000 votes for Joe Biden. We ended up getting 77,000 votes for Joe Biden. Um, to put that in perspective, a total Democrat registration in Collier County is only 56,000. So we were able to get 21,000 votes more than the total registration of Democrats. So um, we did about as well as we could do here in Collier County. We are a red county. So, um, you know, it's very difficult to win any seats here due to the way things are gerrymandered. Uh, and if Miami-Dade would have done a slightly better job in turning out their voters, we, we would have had a shot in at least one race. But, um, yeah, all of our focus now moves towards the 2022 midterms. Um, we've got, uh, two statewide races and the governor coming up. Marco Rubio is up, uh, for reelection if he survives a primary challenge, which we'll get to some of that in the, uh, the next topic. But yeah, it was a, it was a good, um, you know, Linda, I think you said it, said it best when you said, you know, it's just validation of a lot of hard work by a lot of people over, you know, really four years of, um, trying to build the party up and get it to a, a, a position where we could hit 92 percent and so now the next step is to is to try to maintain that and as difficult as it will be we'll try to do the exact same thing in 2022 if we do it'll be a really good uh, midterm election for the democrats but let's go ahead and move on to uh, topic number two which was the craziestness of the transition i guys i You, you throw in the fact that it took six days to find out who the president was. The current president at the time, Donald J. Trump, uh, did have, everything. We don't need to mention his name anymore, ever. Didn't uh, concede. Uh, not only did he not concede, but actively tried to undermine and uh, call secretaries of states to try to get them to find votes. Uh, and then in the exact same time period, we won two seats in Georgia, Oh my gosh! two Senate seats in Georgia would allow the Democrats to take control of the Senate, which was a huge, huge deal, but we couldn't celebrate that for more than, uh, two, three hours before a riotous mob of insurrectionist assholes decided to storm the Capitol, uh, under the pretense of patriotism i guess um i don't really understand the logic behind 
saying you well, love America while tearing down the flag and storming the Capitol. So um, say you love police officers while beating them with American flag and Blue Lives Matter flagpoles. It's kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, where to begin? I mean, let's just there's too many things for us to talk about. Let's just let's all pick one thing that kind of stands out from this blur of the last two and a half months, if we can. Linda, why don't you go first? Yes. We'll go ahead and go first with Linda. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, geez. Where to begin? Uh, I think it was evident in the election that um, most Democrats in America listened to their, their candidate when he said, COVID is real. Please vote by mail. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say that they did. They voted by mail and they voted in droves. And so um, I remember the night of the election, I was just, of course, you know, we're all doing math. We're all seeing the returns. And and conceptually, we knew it could, in fact, take a couple days to figure out who the president of the United States was. And true to form, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, you couldn't, a, a lot of uh, states couldn't count until um, the votes were in for the day until the polls closed. And so it created that. And, and, and I feel like it just, that delay on top of the fact that Trump had been, uh, doing everything in his power to, to make the election seem like it was, it was, um, it was rigged. Thank you. And, 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 and fake and not remotely uh, a free and fair election that it just whipped the whole right into a frenzy and it, they just couldn't, they couldn't recover from it. They didn't understand math. They didn't understand counting of ballots coming in and, and everything that we had from then to the January 6th insurrection was what you would think would happen when the president of the United States tells you that your vote has been stolen from you. There's no other way to compute what happened as much as Republican senators are trying to do that now, uh, you know, being led by Rand Paul the other day, giving it that, that the, uh, the pre-vote in the Senate, um, you know, which just is ridiculous. It's almost like they're, they're, trying to say it didn't happen you know let's let's it was a it was a horrible moment but you know it's time to move on it's time to unify well everything that happened from the election up until then you saw you saw what went down you saw people coming into the capitol you saw people with nefarious intent coming you saw our own representatives and senators being complicit in what was happening Lauren Boebert, for example, you know, tweeting the location of of the Speaker of the House. I don't understand how anyone can see that happen, can read the the eyewitness accounts, can understand the fear of our our senators and representatives in the Capitol on that day. Um, The police officers that were tasked with with protecting those people, their accounts, and how anyone can can try and say that this wasn't a foregone conclusion. 
Yeah. yeah and I mean, and it, sorry. And, and just to add to that, uh, I heard it said best when they said, you know, this was this was a president and and nine Supreme Court justices away from the from the State of the Union, which is the most guarded event in politics in, in the world, really. And how in the world this was allowed to happen is something that should be investigated thoroughly as to how in the world a, a mob of people could go in and when every single elected official, you know, the vice president, the vice president elect and the speaker of the house, number two and three on the list of line of secession are in the building and they almost got ransacked by just a mob. I don't understand how that could happen. No. And it will be investigated. And I think it's, I think it's of this whole craziness. I think it's, Extremely important to remember that not only was Trump fanning these flames for the entire two months prior to this, but literally on the day of the insurrection, he's giving a speech. You know, he's not giving a speech about the, at that time, almost 400,000 people who had died of COVID. He's not doing a memorial for anything like that. He's giving this go out and fight speech to his supporters. And there's, I mean, it's a logical, yeah, it's like a completely logical conclusion to that entire mess. And it's just, it was so sad and shocking uh, nonetheless that it actually, I'm not shocked that they attempted it. I'm shocked that how close they got. Yeah. It was a little scary as to how close they got. Um, Not a little scary. It was very scary how close they got. Amber, what, 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 from the crazy two months, what, what do you take away? What was the takeaway from that? Um, well, we've already kind of gone down the, the culmination of what happened. So I will try to bring a highlight for me, something that will always bring me joy out of those two months of pretty much no joy. Let's just all remember that this allowed four seasons total landscaping to happen because if we get anything out of that that terrible <laughs> two months i'll take that <laughs> you mean yeah. you loved rudy giuliani sweating his hair I loved, out. I loved everything about that day that that day for those of who don't know what she's talking about rudy giuliani Google. Google scheduled it. scheduled a press conference and gave the address of the Four Seasons, which he thought was the hotel, but it ended up being a landscaping service. So he just went ahead with it, and they did a uh, press conference at the back of a landscaping That was across the street from a dildo shop and down the street from a crematorium. That was his big uh, press conference, which happened to also be, I believe, on the, the day that it was called for Joe Biden, if I'm not mistaken. Um, hey, Donald <laughs> yeah. Trump only hires the best people. The final, the final arc. Who then he refuses that. to pay. All right. But I don't want this to divulge into, you know, it's done and he's gone. And I know the ramifications of Trumpism are alive and well and something we're going to be dealing with for a long time. But he's thankfully silenced. Um, I have to say that that was one thing with him not not attending the inauguration as completely ridiculous as that was for, you know, and cowardly 
and small, which again, it's not surprising. I was really glad to not have to sit and see his smug face or to hear his live tweeting the inauguration the entire day. It was just such a nice change of pace from the last four years. And I feel like even after the inauguration, it's really been this past, it's been about a week now. Uh, it's been so freeing for, for I think, a lot of people, uh, especially people like journalists. I know that they, I've read something about how journalists are saying they, they can finally like sleep on the weekends and not have to worry about waking up for some whatever craziness that's happening. But, you know, for I think all Americans, it was just a completely unpredictable time. And I think we're, we don't even realize how bad it was because you were just surviving through it. And I think once it's gone, we're going to look back and go, holy cow, did we really like live through that? Yeah, I agree. It's true. I don't think the surrealness of it will really hit us for, for some time to come. Can, can we also say though, that, um, that the inauguration was so wonderful I, I am going to say, I know it was socially distanced event. Um, you know, our party had really requested that people do not come to DC for it, uh, for a variety of safety concerns also, but health concerns as well. You know, we are in the middle of a pandemic, which, you know, most Republicans don't necessarily want to talk about, but you know, we will as Democrats. But um, I, I really thought that the inauguration was such a, a positive moment for everyone i thought the normalcy of it the fact that people spoke in complete sentences the fact that um you know we just we we just it seemed competency was was making its comeback yeah and the white house representation you saw people that were represented there from all walks of american life this is not just the democrats that were being celebrated you had everybody all different ages and races and uh, genders and everything was was represented, which is how it should be. And it's it shouldn't be just for the few or just for the people who voted for you. And and that's one of the things that Joe Biden has continually said that he is not the president to those who supported him, but he's the president to all Americans, which is a complete contrast to what our former president said. Doesn't Constant. sound great to say former. Oh I was, my God. I was really hoping that Joe Biden would have said after the inauguration, he would have come out with a tweet that said, yesterday's inauguration was the least attended inauguration in the history of the, of the country. I was so hoping he would throw some shade at that. That's at, funny. Uh, oh, that would Trump. be great. But, that would um, be great. My, the, the thing that I'm going to focus on, um, because I think it's the most important thing over the last two and a half months outside of uh, Biden actually taking the oath of office, um, was the fact that the Democrats took back the Senate. And not only that, he, that they took back the Senate, but the way they took back the Senate uh, through winning two special elections in the state of Georgia. Georgia. Thank God for Stacey Abrams. And um, electing the first African-American senator uh i think in the south from the south. definitely in georgia yeah um from the south yeah well i don't know uh democrat first african-american democrat Correct. tim scott's from south carolina and Correct. He's Correct. American. but the um but uh that was you know just the way we did it and then what it means i mean i 
I can't uh, express <laughs> how um, how much of a, of a a boost that was to me personally, and I know to so many people finding out that we that we took back the Senate for what it means. Um, we all watched what Mitch McConnell uh, did to Barack Obama for uh, his final four years in office uh, in stymieing every single uh, piece of legislation and every single thing that that Obama tried to do. Um, so what does this mean? I mean, yes, it's a 50-50 uh, Senate with Kamala Harris breaking the tie. They still have the filibuster, so that's still in. So major legislation will be difficult to pass. Um, they can pass some things through what's called reconciliation, which means it's financial items. So te- anything that does deals with taxes, you can go through with a simple majority vote. But, but beyond that, what it does mean is that we can we control all of the all of the committees. Um, mm-hmm. We control what goes to the floor. Right. What gets voted on. What gets voted on. Yeah. So uh, we can put our priorities out to the public and force votes that Republicans have to say they don't agree with. Which is huge because huge. they've had eight years now where they could just, if anything was uh, any Democratic legislation that wanted to get passed, Mitch McConnell would just never bring it up for a vote. So they never had to be challenged on whether or not it was something, you know, because a lot of these Democratic initiatives are very popular and they're very popular with their constituents as well. Um, so the fact that they didn't even have to to face that, I think, is a big problem. So, you know, I have no I have no um, illusions that the Senate is going to all of a sudden start working together and not not obstructing anything that that they try to do. But the fact that they have to then pay some sort of political price for that, I think, is going to change things a little bit. Mm. Yeah, it's so it's, sad that that we have to f- uh, think of things in those terms. But um, truly, the fifty-fifty split doesn't do us a hell of a lot of favors, unfortunately. Not in regards to legislation, but I do want to point out two, uh, three things that it does help with that would have been would have been painful right now if the Republicans <sighs> uh, had control. So the first is is cabinet positions. Um, all cabinet positions have to be approved uh, by the Senate. Uh, that's a 50-50, that's a simple majority vote. Uh, so Biden can name anybody to his cabinet, any cabinet position, and the Democrats can pass it on a party line vote, which means that he can get the cabinet he wants and get them into the positions uh, and get them to start fixing all of the things that the Trump administration either uh, purposely demolished or just ignored uh, over the last four years. So that's a huge thing that he gets the cabinet. The second thing is judges uh and uh means the supreme court and uh lower courts and the appellate courts and i'll give you an example that happened here and and why it's such a big deal so recently we all saw that uh joe biden selected merrick garland as uh attorney general and uh, not only is it easy for us to confirm them it's for democrats to confirm merrick garland uh, those of you who don't remember, Merrick Garland was the uh, person Obama chose to uh, go to the Supreme Court that Mitch McConnell never even met with uh, and for an entire year. But what does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, look, Merrick Garland was a centrist to left leaning judge on a appellate court. If the Republicans had control over the Senate, 
Biden would never have chosen Merrick Garland for Supreme for Attorney General because he would have to choose a conservative or a a middle of the road person to re, to replace Merrick Garland on that appellate seat. Now with control of the Senate, he can take a centrist Merrick Garland, put him as Attorney General, and put a young liberal in the place of Merrick Garland's seat and he doesn't have to worry about the Republicans blocking it. So it allows, so that is a perfect example of where uh, I don't believe Joe Biden would have ever chosen Merrick Garland as attorney general because he wouldn't have gotten as left a leaning judge as his replacement. And so this is the type of thing which is huge because we all know that one of the only things that the Republicans were good at doing over the last four years, really, outside of ignoring facts, was getting judges appointed and putting them on the bench. And so uh, taking the Senate for the next two years it was, was such a huge thing. It was the most important thing that happened in the last two and a half months. It's not the thing we're going to remember. Uh, we're going to remember the January 6th um, insurrection. That will always be the first thing that we remember. But I think the most important thing was the fact that the Democrats got in control of the Senate because it really allows us to to control the narrative of what happens over the next two years. And um, if we do our job in 2022, we'll be able to increase that lead, replace some, and then and and that way we will have the Senate for at least uh, really uh, four more years after that. So 2022 and, is a huge year. And I really think we need to also mention. Um, probably one of the biggest historic moments of Kamala Harris being sworn in as the first female black South Asian vice president. And I mean, I remember when it, when it was finally called for Joe Biden, I was, I was so grateful that Trump was going to be out, but my almost my own more overwhelming emotion, which kind of surprised me was the thought of her that she was going to be in the white house. Um, it, you know, as much as I had talked about it and was excited about a female, you know, in a high position like that, um, it really impacted me more than I thought. So that is huge for our country. Absolutely. And there's no, you know, there's no way to, so many things happened in the last two and a half months. It's all, unbelievable. All of which, all of which, <laughs> all of which uh, have major implications moving forward. But um, it's hard to pick just one. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to the final topic, which is Ron DeSantis and his handling of the COVID pandemic, or should I say mishandling of the Thank COVID you. pandemic. Thank you. Um, you can't call something handled when it's not being it's handled. It's not being handled. No, the uh, Naples Daily News ran an op-ed uh, earlier this week from the USA Today editorial board uh, calling out DeSantis for his mishandling of the pandemic, specifically on his executive order that basically defanged or uh, neutered all of the ordinances that local governments have put in across the state for mask wearing uh, and social distancing, basically saying that you can have them, but you can't actually enforce them. And the op-ed went uh, so far to actually instruct 
local municipalities to ignore the executive order and begin fining people. So, um, guys, we've talked about this at length when it comes to uh, DeSantis and his uh, his hand, how he's chosen to go about mishandling handling this pandemic. What do we think? Do, I mean, do, how do we uh, think this is going to play out over the next two years? Um, I can't, I cannot imagine that it's going to help him barring some sort of, uh, the only thing I could think of is, is if the Biden administration can get large numbers of the vaccine, uh, get it going, get it out, and it turns around and becomes a, a well-running machine that, that may then make him look better. That's the only thing I can think of because of across the board people that i've spoken with on all sides of the aisle who especially older people which there's a lot of in florida that are trying to get the vaccine are really really pissed off about how difficult it is how little respect essentially they're given you know they're expected to be calling and on the internet and figuring all of this stuff out um, it has not been easy And, you know, to the only thing I will say to DeSantis um, is that the federal government made just such a terrible handling of it on their end, and they just passed the buck down to the states. So they were not given an easy job. This is not an easy job for any state to handle. However, you see other states who have prepared and chosen different methods that are working a lot better. And um, I think that goes back to, uh, there's actually this article in the Washington Post from a health, uh, county health person in Lee County, and they didn't even know that the counties were going to be in charge of handling this until like December 18th, like a week and a half or something before the first vaccines were distributed. All of a sudden the state came down and said, no, the counties individually are going to handle it. So should they have maybe thought about that? Yeah. Maybe they should have had a backup plan just in case, but the state gave nothing to these counties. So the fact that it's been just a, a nightmare um, of a rollout is no surprise because this, the counties are not prepared for this. Um, and I realize the state also probably is not prepared for this, but they had plenty of time to do a lot better than they, than they are. And that goes to DeSantis. Completely. Well, I mean, you can, you can potentially give him an out as far as distribution goes, because no, he's not prepared. No, he may not have the infrastructure in place to do this organically, but he deserves no outs in regard to this pandemic because he's been Trump's lackey this whole time. He's been an obstructionist and he's, he's, uh, you know, downright mm-hmm. virus denier. If we, if we really want to get serious about it. So I, I don't have any shits to give him as far as how he's handling the rollout. His, his fear has passed the buck and now he is passing the buck and saying counties, you figure it out when we know it needs to be uh, it needs to be filtered from yeah. the top. These counties, all of our counties need guidance. And yet again, he's proven to to, you know, he's going with type that he doesn't actually want to give this guidance. He doesn't want to be bothered. It's the same, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic with him. 
So um, unless we get this done on a federal level, I don't really have any hope that the state of Florida will be able to do this in a in a more organized, more expedient yeah, look way. The more places that we can get this vaccine and get it closer to people, that's great. So I'm all for Publix or CVS or whoever is getting the vaccine. But it's kind of interesting when you look at, you know, of course, Publix we know is a donor to to Rick Scott or ugh, donor to Ron DeSantis, probably Rick Scott as well. And I saw this graph a couple of days ago. You look at the counties where Publix has been given the contracts where they've been able to open up for vaccine distribution. Every single one was in a red county. Every single one. None of the blue counties have been have been given vaccines for the public stores. And then I was just like, that's kind of interesting, you know? No Miami Dade, no Pinellas County, no Orlando, nowhere. No Alachua, you know, you're not even talking about small counties, not Alachua, not, you know. Um, so anyways, there's more there's by far more to it than just trying to help people because it's money is tied into it. And that is just the worst possible scenario for trying to help people. Yeah. And you know, the, the frustrating thing is it's not even intellectually consistent, uh, any of his positions. I mean, on the one part you, he has pushed as Trump did, Trump said, let's push, everything down to the state level. And he said, I'm not going to make any statewide decisions. I'm going to push this down to the local level. Well, then the local level goes and makes decisions in an effort for masks or for social distancing requirements on all these things. And then he says, oh, wait, no, now I'm going to step in and say, but you can't do those things. So it's, it's not even consistent with, with his plan. If you were going to say, let the local handle it from the very beginning and clearly state it to people, then I guess I could say that maybe that's your plan is that we're, we're just going to let the counties figure it out, but you didn't even stay consistent with that. You went and said, well, now I'm not going to let the fines. And, and I don't even know what the logic is behind that. I think honestly, he's, he's thinking that maybe he can, you know, get away with, with telling everybody that he was there trying to save the economy, save the economy, save the economy. I guess that's his, his argument. But as we've said on this podcast for the last year, you know, the economy isn't coming back until the pandemic is taken care of. It doesn't matter what you tell people if they're afraid to go out because we're getting 12,000 new cases and, 25,000 people in Florida have died. If that's what they're seeing and that's what's happening in their communities, they're not going to go out to the movies and to restaurants and to bars and to do all the things that the economy needs for it to continue. Not to mention, if you're so concerned about the economy, why wouldn't you get the virus under control so that all of tourists would come back in full form and not hear, oh, wow, Florida's just blowing up with COVID cases and they're not doing anything about it. So, look, we could sit here all night and talk about all the ways DeSantis has botched this, uh, the handling of this pandemic. What we really need to do now is focus on over the next two years, uh, figuring out a way 
to convey all this information to voters so that they know when they get in the ballot box that the individual who is on the Republican ticket and Ron DeSantis didn't have their back, didn't even have their local communities back. We've passed here in Collier County, as red a county as you can get, we've passed mask ordinances here, which is at, evidently is against Ron DeSantis's position on the issue. So we need to convey all this information to the voters to make sure that they know who to vote for come 2022. And we need to do that across the state um, because we need to get a Democratic uh, governor in there. So, guys, I'm going to go ahead and call it right there. What uh, parting words before we... (laughs) We've talked about this just going forward as far as um, our goals is to try to focus on positive changes, positive things that we can do in our community. And I know we're going to be talking about, um, you know, we're going to be talking about bad things that DeSantis is doing and um, other, other politicians. Um, But I also want to really focus on ways that we can help our community and um, highlight the people in our community who are doing good things. So I think that look forward to that in the future um, from us. Linda? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm down <laughs> with all that good sunshine. We, d- we do. We just need to. I fully agree with you, Jeff. Every time I hear anything about DeSantis, I just don't think the public is, is, is making those connections. They hear him talk. He has a lot of support, um, you know, as evidenced by the fact that, that Florida did not go blue. He could very well take the governor's mansion yet again. But it's just it's going to be about messaging. We got to make people do those mathematic connections. One plus one does, in fact, equal two and and, you know, get them out of the 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 governor's mansion come 2022. Absolutely. And that's uh, that has been my my overriding goal for the last decade uh, that I've been here in the in the Collier Party. You know, all of us, all three of us have grown up and grown up in Florida our entire lives, basically. And uh, I'm 38 years old. And uh, for the last 22 years, uh, we've had Republican leadership in Florida. And I want more than anything to have a Democrat in the governor's mansion, more than almost anything. If Trump wasn't president, I would say it's the most important political seat uh, in my mind. But uh, that's our show. I want to thank you guys all for clicking on. Thanks to Agent 13 for the theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have no more days. Biden got elected. So uh, take, a, take a break for a little bit, but then get involved. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Until next time, so long. So long.